God bless you, brothers and sisters. We're about to get into God's holy word. The chapter we're doing today is Romans chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. And God loves it when we stand up for his holy word. Starting from verse 11. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from dead to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sins, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. This is God's holy word, and we will now pray God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Lord Father God. Because it's our spiritual nourishment, dear Lord. And I thank you right now, Lord, for this word, Lord, that this word would strengthen us, that this word would encourage us, dear Lord. I pray as the speaker speaks this word, Lord Father God, this word would edify us, Lord Father God. And I pray, dear Lord, that this word would change us, dear Lord. Lord, your word is there to strengthen us. Your word is there to encourage us, guide us, direct us, Lord, and I just thank you, dear Lord, Father God, that your word is where we get our wisdom. Your word builds up our faith, dear Lord, Father God. Lord, Father God, I just pray, Lord, that we will come totally changed after we hear this word, dear Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, if there are any people that are not saved, Lord, Father God, that after they hear this word, Lord, that you would pierce their hearts, dear Lord, that you would open up their hearts, Lord, Father God, and they would accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, dear Lord, Father God. Lord, I pray they will receive that free gift of love that you died upon the cross and you shed your blood for, dear Lord, Father God. Lord, I send your word, Lord, Father God, to those who may be going through a hard time and may be going through trials, Lord, Father God, that through your word, Lord, that they would persevere and continue and would continue to fight the good fight of faith, dear Lord. Lord, I pray for those, dear Lord, Father God, send your word, Lord, that you are the God who healed thee, Lord, and send your word of healing to all those, dear Lord, that need a healing. Heal them in mind, heal them in bodies, and heal them in strength, Lord, Father God. Lord, Father, God, I thank you that you are such a loving God, dear Lord, Father, God. Words can never comprehend how loving of a father that you are, dear Lord, Father, God. And I pray, dear Lord, Father, God, for our speaker, other pastor, dear Lord, that you would use him in a tremendous way, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your right away inside of him, Lord, Father, God. I pray that every word that would come out of his mouth would be of you, Lord, Father, God. Lord, I thank you for our pastor, Lord, Father, God because he is such an encouragement and a blessing to us, Lord Father God. And Lord Father God, I just pray, Lord Father God, that you will glorify yourself in everything that you want to say and do today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the major topic of discussion these days is the issue of justice and injustice. 
whether you turn on the news or the talk shows or really even regular television programming, the topic of justice dominates them all. Webster's Dictionary defines justice this way, that the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims, the assignment of punishment, or merited rewards. That's a, a long dictionary definition, but basically the, the center focus of it is the word impartial. You see, Lady Justice has that mask over her eyes, and in her hands is the scale. The blindfold means that justice does not consider a person's social, their economic status, their ethnicity, their religion, their age, their sex, their health, or any other characteristic while they're meeting out the equity on the scale of justice. The reason for that is that it's based upon the character of God. You see, God himself is impartial in all of his judgments, the scriptures tell us, according to Deuteronomy 10.17, for instance. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, and is not partial, and takes no bribes. Many of you might be more familiar, though, with God's statement to Samuel when Samuel was seeking to to choose the king that was going to follow Saul. And this is what God had to say to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Do not look on his outward appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees as man, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And what is true of God in his right judgment, what is true of him should also be true of his people. In Second Chronicles chapter 19, we read, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking of bribes. You see, our character of justice has to be based upon God's character and his justice, which is impartial. We also see what God says about judges and how judges are to judge the people. We find that definition or description in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses is there reminding the judges of Israel what true justice looks like. And the basis for it, he says, is God's nature. You shall not be partial in judgment, he tells the judges. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. So God's justice is based upon his righteous character, the perfection of his character. In the Greek, we now look at, at that, and what we see in the New Testament is that the words Judge, justice, just, justification, righteous, righteousness. All of those words are actually from the same root word. Righteousness means right standing before a just God. 
You see, God's ways are right. They are perfect. And therefore, true justice has to be based upon God's character and God's nature. His rightness. So to speak about justice from a Christian perspective, in terms of the relationships of the events that are happening in our nation and around the world right now, means that the standard of God's judgment, of his rightness, has no reference to any external characteristic of humanity. Not to race, not to position, not the majority of people's opinions. In the book of, of Romans, that word just, or justified, justifier, righteous, righteousness, it appears 58 times in that book. That tells us that it is the key theme of the whole book. And we find that summarized in Romans 1, verse 17. There it says that the righteous, or the just, shall live by faith. You see, the call to righteous obedience in our text that Paul is going to, to challenge us with today rests on the truth received by faith, calling us to a right action, as we've seen all the way through the book of Romans so far. And so as we look at this passage today, I want you to, to reflect on this thought. That truth demands faith and actions to reveal God's glory. Did you catch that? Truth demands faith and action to reveal God's glory. Now, over the past two weeks, as we have been studying the earlier verses here in Romans chapter 6, through the daily devotions that we've been doing, and then through the sermon that Sean preached, and then the sermon I preached uh, last week, we have learned the indicatives of truth. The indicatives of truth. What are those? What does that mean? Well, the word indicative refers to just a plain statement. A statement of a fact or, or statement of a truth, as God declares it in particular here in our text. Paul, in the verses that we're looking at today, and really, all the way through the chapter 6, Paul is providing two indicative statements, two statements of truth upon which the whole teaching in this chapter rests. And those indicatives are summarized in verse 5, where it says, For if we have been united with him, that is, united with Jesus Christ, as in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. All who trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ die to their old way of living, and they receive this new life in Jesus Christ. And that is the basis for everything that Paul is going to teach here in Romans chapter 6. Just as those who enter a witness protection plan have their old life completely eradicated, and they receive a whole brand new identity. So the Christian's past is wiped clean. What the Bible calls justification, a, a declaration of being in right relationship with God, and they receive in that justification a brand new life through Jesus Christ. 
And so let's look at these two indicative statements that Paul makes in this text that we're studying today. The first is that this is the secure consideration of truth. Consider this truth is what he says. You see, God has declared certain truths. And since God can't lie, what he declares has to be true. I mean, we know that all scripture is perfect because it comes from God. It is his perfect word of truth. Therefore, what is written in Romans 6 must be true. We can have this security, this sense of, of, of uh, resting in this truth because God has spoken it in his word. And so what does Paul say that makes this such a powerful statement? Verse 11, he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's the statement. You are dead to sin and you're alive in Christ Jesus. That's a simple statement for us to reflect on today. And from verse 2 through verse 10, Paul has emphasized this so that he can come to verse 11 and say, now, think on that. Reflect on this truth. The truth that I've just shared with you through these first nine verses, I want you to think about these. I want you to consider this. Paul has proved in what he has said in verses 2 through 10 that we as believers, Christians, that we are dead to our old way of life. And that God, by the Holy Spirit, has raised us up just as surely as he raised Jesus up from the dead. By faith in Jesus Christ, the Christian knows with assurance that he or she is dead and now made alive. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead that same power is given to us with the guarantee that we are raised with him to a brand new life. In other words, you and I, we are as alive to God as Jesus is alive to God. And that, Paul says, is a statement of fact that we should consider. It is truth that we must rest upon. Consider what it means when we say that somebody has been put into the witness protection plan. You see, a person's whole past at that moment is deleted as if they hadn't existed before. They're given a new name, a new identity, a new home situation. They're given a new job. But you know, that person has a little bit of struggle in adjusting their life to this new identity. And so it is with us as Christians. That's why Paul tells us that we have to reflect on this, that we have to think about it. We have to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Just as that person in the witness protection plan has to memorize their new life and a new past that has been made up. You see, the fact doesn't change. It is an absolute truth. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. The old life is gone. 
You've received this new life in Jesus Christ. But it does take us a little bit of time to grasp the reality of that. Why? Because we've lived a long life in that, that past. And we sometimes forget the power of the cross. We forget the power of this new life that Christ has built into us. So Paul reminds us to consider, to recollect, to concentrate on this new life when we're tempted to go back to our past, back to the life of sin. So, that first indicative statement, that first statement of truth, is that we have a secure in our consideration of that truth. We need to be secure as we recollect, reflect upon the truth that we are dead through Jesus Christ and we are alive by Jesus Christ. But there is a second statement, a second indicative in this, and that is the secure covenant of truth. You see, in the beginning, God established a covenant with Adam and Eve. Adam, as the first human, violated that covenant. That relationship that he had with God, he turned away from it. He rebelled against God. And by that rebellion or that sin, as the scripture calls it, he brought death into the world. We saw that back in chapter 5 of Romans. So that now all of humanity exists under this curse of the broken covenant. Therefore, all live under sin's control. You know, like a member of the mafia, even if a person wanted to get out from underneath the mafia, they can't. They can't. Their, their life is so wrapped up in the mob that to try to get out from underneath it would probably cause death for them and for their family. The only escape is that witness protection program where they lose everything in terms of their past. And that's the way it is for us. The only escape from sin's control is Jesus Christ. He brought a new kingdom covenant into existence. And it took Jesus coming into this world, living a perfect sinless life, dying on the cross in your place and mine, and then rising up to new life in order to break that power of the curse of that broken covenant caused by Adam's sin. And that's what we read in verse 14. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Under, not under law, but under grace. That's the second indicative statement that he gives. That's a truth that we can be secure in, that we can rest in. We are not under sin's control any longer. We now have freedom from that control through Jesus Christ. You know, being under the law means living under the condemnation of sin. The law here includes the Mosaic law, but it's, it's much larger than that. It's all of life lived by people who are under the condemnation of Adam's sin. Just as a person in the mafia is under the law of the mafia rule, so humanity is under the law of condemnation. 
And to be under grace means we now belong to that new covenant in Jesus Christ. A whole new covenant, a new life. Jesus Christ overcame sin and death. By faith in Jesus Christ, we now die to the power of the law of sin and death, as Romans 8 puts it. And we have become alive in this new covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Just as we live in this world under God's love and relationship that he's given to us, when, though we were sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us, now we live in him with love for him. In 1 John 5, we learn how this, this new covenant works for us. There we read, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That is, our faith in Jesus Christ. So what? who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If we go back to Romans chapter 1, we see what that means. But the scripture tells us that in the flesh, Jesus came as a descendant of David. But through the resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God. He was proved to be the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. And it's his power that is at work in us so that we can live out this new life. So what is Paul saying to us? He's telling us to consider these two very powerful indicative statements of truth. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's the first one. And the second one is that the covenant of the law of sin and death no longer rules over you. Rather, you are under grace, God's grace, in which we receive this new life through Jesus Christ. We are under a new control, a new king, a new covenant of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. So that truth wins out. Hi, church family. Pastor Chris just shared two important truth statements with us. The first, that we as Christians are dead to sin and alive to God. And second, that we as Christians are not under the law, but under grace. These two statements are important to how we walk through the world and interact with people around us. Are these two statements true for you? Have you accepted Jesus Christ and the new life that he's, he provides? If you have any questions, please email us at metbaptist@outlook.com, or you can write us at Metropolitan Baptist Church at 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. You can also listen to past messages on our website at metbaptist.com. Also, I want to take some time to remind members and friends of Metropolitan to continue to support us through our on, through online giving at our website. Especially now as we prepare to reopen the church. So, let's go back to the message that is currently in progress. 
Paul follows these two indicative statements with two imperatives. What is an imperative? An imperative is a command. And throughout Paul's letters, what we find is that the imperatives, that is the commands, always follow the indicatives. Commands are based on the true statements or on the doctrine. What God has said is true. Therefore, since those things are true, this is how you live. And so we have these indicative statements now followed by two imperatives. So let's take a a look at these two imperatives and notice that the, the first one is the imperative of faith. Consider how this works. An indicative would be a statement like this. Under phase two, churches are going to be allowed to open and we hope that phase two is going to happen on the third Monday of June so that we can open on June 28th. Now, that's a, that's a statement. That's, that's a, a fact statement. What is the imperative of that? Well, here's the imperative. So come to church on June 28th. You see, because of the truth, which we hope is true, that June 28th will be the date that we'll be opening, based upon that truth, then we have the ability to give a command. Come to church. Become a part of our fellowship on that Sunday. And so as we rejoice in what God is doing in opening the church, the command that's given is based on a particular truth statement. Now, how does that work here in our text? Well, Paul's about to give two commands. Those two commands are based on those two truth statements that we just spoke about. The true statements that we are dead in Christ and alive through Christ and that that we're no longer under the control of of sin, but we are under the control of grace. Those are the two truth statements he has made. Now, those commands or those imperatives then are going to be a response to a question that's going around in Paul's mind that he thinks is going around in other people's minds when they hear that we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. He spells it out for us in verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Some people hear the word grace, and what do they think? They take it wrongly. They think because God forgives sins based upon the death of Jesus Christ, that grace means God turns a blind eye to sin. But that is not so. I mean, think about what that would mean. It means, well, I know I shouldn't sin, but uh, God's going to forgive me so I can go ahead and sin. And there's no big deal. There's no problem. I mean, isn't it true that all of our sins are forgiven, both the past, the present, and our future sins, all dealt with at the cross? Now, Paul has already faced this this issue back at the beginning of Romans 6. In verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? And his answer, by no means. No way. You see, it was that question that led him then to those indicative statements that we just talked about in verses 2 through verse 11. 
Paul explained why grace does not give the believer freedom to sin. And now he's going to do more than just give us statements. He is actually going to give us commands based upon those truths. So, notice how he begins with a sovereign control through faith. You see, the question for us is, who is going to rule your life? Who is going to be the king of God's church? Well, returning to our example in the witness protection plan, suppose that individual who is the witness, before they enter into the program, they were under control of the mafia. The mob told them what they could do. The decisions were made by the mafia don, and, and he gave the command out, and the individuals who were part of that mob, those individuals had to do what was said if they wanted to live. But once that individual enters into the witness protection program, they no longer have to obey the rules of the mafia. Well, that's the way that it works with us. Paul writes in verse 12, and he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not let sin reign so that you don't follow the passions of the flesh that lead towards sin. Uh, this is a command that's similar to what the FBI might tell the person who's going into the witness protection plan. They'll say things like, don't ever use your former name. Don't make any contact with former friends. Get rid of your old cell phone. Get rid of your credit cards. And they do that so the individual might have freedom from the fear of the mob. And for the Christian, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Don't let sin with its passions continue to draw you away to your old life. You've been freed from sin's power. Don't let it gain control over you again. Instead, he says, as verse 13 states, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So don't let sin reign, but instead present yourself to God. What happens if that witness in the witness protection plan what, program, what if he goes off before he enters the program to visit some of his old friends to, to maybe stop in and see a, an uncle or a cousin or someone else? Now the mafia has control again. They know where he is. They know who he is. And they can come after him. He has put his life in jeopardy and the FBI now has to come in and haul him away to save his life. Paul says, let go of that old life and show up in God's new life. Present yourself, the whole of who you are, your body, your soul, your spirit, your will, your mind. Give all of who you are over to God. And if you do so, you'll enjoy the wonders of this new life. You'll be set free from the influence of, your, of the past sin life that you participated in. God is sovereign over us. 
We need to trust in that sovereign control of God. By faith, we need to turn the control of our life over to the power of the Holy Spirit rather than reaching out towards that life of sin again. You see, faith obeys God's commands and God's control. But there is a second imperative. And this is the sovereign commands of faith. We saw the the sovereign control of faith. Don't let sin control you any longer. You've been set free from that. Don't let that happen, but rather present yourself to God. But the second imperative is a command of faith to live by faith. Like the first imperative that points out the sovereign control of faith, this one also has two parts to it, like two sides of a coin. The first is a negative, do not, and the second is a positive, do. Don't do this, rather do that. And that that is what the scripture tells us is how we should live. Don't yield yourself to sin, but rather yield yourself to God. Now, verse 13 begins with that do not. It says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. In other words, don't keep presenting your life to be used by sin. The other day I was out on a walk with my wife trying to build up my health for the, uh, from the struggle with COVID. Uh, and so we were out walking and we happened to meet up with someone we knew that was out with their uh, dog. And, and I like animals, so I was trying to pet this dog. And that dog, anytime my hand would get near, it would snap at me. I mean, it's rough, you know. Now, if that dog bit me, whose fault would it be? It wouldn't be the dog's fault. It would have been my fault. I was the one that was reaching in. Well, if you're going to reach into sin, sooner or later, you're going to get bit by it. And so, the scripture here says, don't let sin reign, but it also says, don't reach in. Don't reach toward it. Don't lean toward it. So that it doesn't bite you. How do you avoid falling into the traps of sin? How do you avoid being bitten by that sin? Well, the end of verse 13 gives the answer. It says, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Don't present your, yourself as instruments to unrighteousness, to sin, but rather present yourself to God and in doing so, live a righteous life. The, uh, the word that's translated here as instruments is generally translated throughout Paul's writings as weapons. Present your members to God as weapons of righteousness. Or, earlier on, don't present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. You see, sin wants to use our passion, wants to take our desires and use them as weapons to destroy us. God wants us to learn to use our whole being, our gifts and talents, 
our, our body, our soul, our mind, our spirit, to use those rather to do those things that are weapons of good to fight against the enemy. So that God's glory is seen in us. You know, the, the concept of, of what we're talking about is brought out clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand firm. You see, what we need to learn is that every time we give ourselves over to sinful behaviors, we're joining the enemy in the fight against God. But wouldn't you rather join God in this fight against the enemy by using your lives as weapons for righteousness and for truth? So here we have it. These imperatives of faith based upon the indicatives of God's truth. How then will we live? Will we live according to the truths that are stated? Will we follow these commands not to yield ourselves to sin, but rather to give ourselves, present ourselves to God? Will we do that or not? And so Paul leaves us with the inconclusive action that depends upon our response. How are we going to live? You see, he asks us in verse 15, what then are we to sin? In other words, you are in that position where you can make that choice. But the reality is, we can never ask that question to a non-Christian. We've seen in Romans so far that the unbeliever cannot not sin. They are under sin's domination. From the time of Adam on, every human being is caught in the control of sin's power. But we can't ask that question of a Christian. Why? Because the Christian has a choice to sin or not to sin. The Christian has God's power that broke sin's power so that we can live a new life. And so, as we look at, at this question of what action are we going to take, I want you to notice the surrender by choice in that action. Who do you surrender to? And that's what verse 16 says. You know, Paul is, is laying out a choice that Christians are going to face every day. Will you present yourself to God or are you going to present yourself to sin? Will you use the life that God has given you to glorify him? Or are you going to follow sinful passions? So let's look at verse 16. It says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? See, there's the choice. Who, who are you going to obey? Who is going to be king 
over you? Who is going to rule your life? Is it going to be sin today? Or is it going to be righteousness and obedience to God? An unbeliever doesn't have that choice. They always will choose sin because by nature, what are they? They're sinners. But the Christian has the ability to say no to worldly lusts by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, a blind person doesn't have the choice about going out to watch a sunset out over the water. They, they don't have a choice because they, they can't see that sunset. But a person with sight has that choice. They may choose not to look. They may choose to stay in their house and watch TV or take a nap or do something else. But they have that choice. For the Christian, the question becomes, who will you serve? Will you serve sin or will you serve the Savior? But there is a, a, a second aspect to this. So notice the surrender to the consequences of the actions. You see, if you make a choice, that choice is going to result in particular consequences. Whatever you choose, there are going to be those consequences. If you choose sin, there are consequences. If you choose obedience, there are consequences. To whom you surrender, that determines what's going to happen in your life. So Paul writes in the second part of verse 16, he says, either a sin which leads to death of, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Uh, did you get that contrast? The contrast is between sin and obedience. We think the choice is between sin and righteousness, but no, it is between obeying sin or obeying God. Yielding ourselves servants to sin or yielding ourselves servants to God, which results in righteousness. You see, continuously yielding to sin as a master indicates you might not even be a true believer. We read in 1 John 3 that those who continue to live a life of habitual sin cannot have the Spirit of God within. Think about that. They cannot have the Spirit of God within. Now, this is again, as we're talking about habitual, continual sin, where sin masters at all times. It doesn't mean that a Christian doesn't sin. They do. And next week, the Lord willing, we're going to speak more about that issue of the Christian's struggle with sin. But what it means is that a person who is constantly defeated by sin, that they may not be a Christian. And that's something for you to consider. That's why Paul says that we should test our spirit to see if we are in Christ. A Christian has new life and new power given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in us to correct us, to rebuke us, and to give us the power to change our behavior for God's glory. And so the indicatives tell us that if we are Christians, we are dead to sin, and we are alive to God through Jesus Christ, by faith in Him. The imperatives tell us if that is true about us, we are Christians, then let's start living like Christians. And so, as Joshua put it to the people of Israel, 
Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the idols of sin? Or will you serve the true God? Will you yield yourselves as servants to unrighteousness? Or will you yield yourselves in obedience as servants to righteousness? And so I want to ask you here as we bring this this sermon to an end, what do you know? What do you know about the truth of who you are through Jesus Christ? Do you know that you are dead to sin and that you are alive to God? That you are not under the law, but you are under grace? Who do you trust? If those things are true, if it is true that you are dead to sin and alive to Christ, you're not under uh, uh, the law of sin any longer, but you are under God's grace, if those are true, then who are you going to trust with your life? Do you trust sin? Thinking that sin is going to be good, that there's going to be benefits in sin for you? Or are you going to trust God? and walk in obedience with him. Who will control your life? Who will you obey? And so the final question then becomes, what are you going to do? What will you do with your life? Will you live for the glory of God? Will you passionately pursue God's glory in all that you say and all that you do? Or will you continue to let sin have mastery over you. You have a choice. Are you a Christian today? Are you an individual who knows that God's Spirit is alive in you and that you're being changed moment by moment, day by day? If you are not a believer today, I mean, you look at your life and you say, you know what? I, I find myself always yielding to sin. It controls me. The habits in my life just rule over me. Then perhaps today you need to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. You need to surrender your all. Present yourself to God, by faith in Jesus Christ, that he might come, forgive your sin, and break that power of sin over you. Enter God's witness protection plan today. And if you're a Christian, and you know that you're alive in Christ, you know the power of God is at work in you, but you can find yourself sticking your hand out there for that dog to bite. Maybe it's time for you to realize that that is not going to help you. Only God is going to give you peace, life, justice in this world. Stop sticking your hand out there for that dog of sin to bite you and start yielding yourself to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that you might live. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
We've talked about indicatives and we talked about imperatives today. We talk about the statements of fact. These things are true. No matter what happens, these things are true. If we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, then it is true that sin's power over us is broken and that we have a new life in Jesus Christ. We are no longer under the law of sin and death. We are under the grace of God that empowers us to live a new life. Those are true statements. And yet, too often, we find ourselves not yielding ourselves, not presenting ourselves to you as servants of righteousness, as weapons for righteousness. And we ask you to forgive us and open our hearts and open our minds so that we yield ourselves to you, that we learn to love your ways and not stick our hand into those places where sin is going to bite us. Lord, you've placed this choice before us. Will we serve God or will we serve the idols of our old lives? You've given us that choice by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Help us. Help us, oh God, empower us to say no to sin and yes to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.